1: I'd like to continue in our series of messages on, the, on prophecy. I do find it is one topic that everyone is fascinated with. We want to know how this world's going to end. We want to know the juicy details. And a lot of times it's open to interpretation of various portions of Scripture, in Revelation, Ezekiel, Daniel. What I'd like to do is, I would like to, uh, 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 when when it is interpretation, I would acknowledge that. But when we absolutely know this is what the Word of God says, we can be very confident in what we're speaking about. Uh, I I want to also acknowledge that. And that is this morning's message. There's really no interpretation uh, necessary because the Word of God clearly defines some unfulfilled prophecy that lay before us. And so with that, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, Revelation chapter number 1. And in Revelation chapter number 1, we are going to journey through uh, uh, as if we were looking at an overview of the book of Revelation this morning at seven major unfulfilled prophecies that will absolutely take place. And so I invite you and ask you to please make sure that uh, you have your Bibles available. We're going to go through. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture today. And, um, and we've deliberately made our outline not as uh, fill-in-the-blank intensive as we have in other Sunday mornings. So, so let's look here at the book of Revelation. And I understand When I do my annual Bible reading or I'm just reading through the book of Revelation or I'm I'm listening uh, to the book of Revelation, here's what I understand. The book of Revelation is hard to understand. Would you agree with me? There's all these symbols, and there's horses, and there's hornets, and there's a locust, and there's hail, and there's earthquakes, and there's fire, and there's uh, volcanoes, and there's hunger, and there's famine, and there's this number, and that number, and, and what in the world does it mean? There's the number of man 666. We, we hear 666, and we want to make sure that we never have that number 666. It's a bad number, but why is it a bad number? The book of Revelation prevents many challenges to us, and I, I, I believe that our text verse this morning, Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 19, has helped me uh, have an understanding about the topic or doctrine of prophecy. And if you want a key to help you unlock this book and understand this book of Revelation, I believe verse 19 is a great foundational verse. And here is John's commission. Now let's be reminded, John was one of the disciples for three and a half years, John. Followed the Lord Jesus Christ was a part of his ministry. In fact, um, the Bible even indicates that John was in that inner circle. He was very, very close to Jesus. He lived with Jesus, saw all the miracles. He slept when they slept outside. Uh, He was hungry when Jesus was hungry. Uh, John knew all about Jesus. And they were close. The other 11, they were all crucified or died a a martyr's death except for John. John was a prisoner and he was placed on what they call the Isle of Patmos And there he was commissioned to do something that we benefit from today and that's found here in verse number 19 the Apostle John hears the Lord Jesus say to him John here's what I want you to do I want you to write well write what? write the things which thou hast seen Write the things which are, and write the things which shall be hereafter. Father, I pray, as I have prayed throughout this week in preparing for this message, that you would help me to have the ability to clearly, without causing any confusion, to deliver your word this morning. But Father, I've also asked that your Holy Spirit would light a fire under all of us who say that we are Christians to understand That We have a great responsibility for those who are in our life to hear about you. Father, would you take this message? May we be attentive listeners. And then also, may we be responsive um, at that appointed time at the end of this message. Lord, we love you. Lord, I'm so thankful for your precious word that tells us what is going to happen. Use this message now, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God is not trying to conceal anything, or we wouldn't have the book of Revelation. What I do find is God is trying to reveal. God is trying to reveal. And what we see here is God's trying to make it simple for us. Uh, John must have been a Baptist preacher. Because you know in verse number 19, there's a three-point outline. If you look at that, um, uh, there's the things thou hast seen. And what had John seen? He had already seen the the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We've talked about that to you in previous messages. And Jesus said, write it down, John. Write what you have seen. And and, uh, uh, then he says this. He said, write about those things which are... And the th- and the things which are is the the church age. We right now today are living in that time. Uh, there there is a uh, messages in, in the book of Revelations in chapter two and chapter three about churches by the names of Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And I've preached, uh, previously preached a seven-part message on these seven churches. And while they were literal churches in Asia Minor, they are also representative churches of the churches throughout all of ages. And we today are living in that church of Laodicea. We're neither hot nor not cold. Frankly speaking, my friend, when God looks down at the churches in this world, what he sees is lukewarmness. And God says that the churches are making him sick. It's so sick that he says, I just wish I could spew you out of my mouth. Let's not be a church that disappoints God. Can I say that again? Let's not be a church that disappoints God. The first division is relatively small. It's just one chapter. The second division is equally relatively small. It's only two chapters, chapter 2 and chapter number 3. But then there's the rest of the book. In verse number 19, God told John... I also want you to write about things which shall be hereafter. Now may I just help you understand a little bit about the book of Revelation going forward because we're going to be in this several several weeks. When did John live? How many years ago? 2000. It's not a trick question. John lived 2000 years ago. Remember he walked with Jesus on this earth. And 2000 years ago there were so many things that had not been invented. Imagine John 2,000 years ago in the context of that time period in which he lived. There was no heat, no air conditioning. There were no churches like this. Cars and helicopters had never even been thought of. Cell phones hadn't been dreamed of. There was nothing like uh, um, it was today. Nothing. And John is tasked with describing today. Having never even seen and so sometimes his imagery is based on the best way he can describe it from 2,000 years ago. And I'm going to illustrate that to you in the coming weeks. But here's what John is tasked to do. To write about the things which are hereafter, even though he doesn't have the vocabulary per se to even describe those things. So much, much if not most, of the book of Revelation is this. It's prophecy. It's a book of Prophecy, foretelling, here are the things which shall be hereafter. This morning, I greatly desire to deal primarily with the things which shall be hereafter. Or might we more appropriately say, prophetic things. These are things that have yet to happen. And I want us to all recognize something this morning. That the devil doesn't know or the devil does not accept prophecy. Now, don't get the idea that the devil knows the future. He does not. The devil is full of pride, and he still thinks that he can outsmart God. He's a knucklehead, I say. You, you say, well, pastor, I thought that he was brilliant. Yes, he's brilliantly Imprudent, I would say. And you say, I thought he was attractive, that the Bible says he's an angel of light. Yes, but may I say, he's hideously beautiful. The devil is perverted. He doesn't understand these things. Can you imagine the unmitigated gall, the audacity to think that he can overthrow God? Only God knows the future. By the way, there are a lot of soothsayers and there's a lot of false prophets and prognosticators and people today who will try to tell you the future. We have enough gullible people in America today to keep thousands of astrologers working full-time and tens of thousands working part-time uh, trying to, to tell easy to fool people the future. I understand that you can pay $75 and have somebody across the nation just project healing thoughts to you if you're that senseless and rich at the same time. These people will try to reveal hidden secrets about your love, and your life, and your career, and your money, and your luck, and your marriage, and your health, and your future, your personal problems, and your friends. And all that will cost you is $3.99 per minute. May I just say that if you get wrapped up in the occult, and you get wrapped up in this, the devil will snare your soul. And he will snatch it away. And it is a hellish business to get involved with astrology. And if you're involved in astrology today, my friend, when you get home, I encourage you to take those astrological charts and those books and all that garbage, and you just get rid of it today. It will not help you. You say, well, I just amuse myself with them. Well, you're going to amuse yourself right into hell. I'm saying the devil wants to snatch away your soul in Isaiah God wrote this remember the former things of old for I am God and there is none else I am God there's none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times the things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure what is God saying here God says there's none that knows the future only God knows the future and so there's no astrologer that knows the future There is no false prophet that knows the future. The devil himself does not know the future. The future that we know is revealed in the Word of God. One of the great ways that we know future and we understand prophecy is through the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. And, it, and that's where we find what's going to take place. You see, what God has already fulfilled is an indicator of the fact that he's going to fulfill the rest of it. Let me illustrate this, and I'm, I'm still in my introduction, so bear with me here. But I, I want to illustrate, because when we get into these seven unfulfilled prophecies, I want you to understand the statistical anomaly that it presents for us that they will actually take place. Peter Stoner is a mathematician who deals with the science of probabilities, which is a real science. And Peter, a stoner, took just eight, eight of the prophecies of the Word of God out of the dozens, if not hundreds, of prophecies in the Word of God referring to Jesus coming for the first time. Obviously, we know that's 2,000 years ago when he was born of a virgin and he came to this earth. Now, there are a lot of prophecies in the Bible, but Peter, stoner, took just eight. And mathematically, he said this, quote, What is the probability that all eight of these prophecies could be accurately fulfilled in one man? Mathematically, he said, it is one in a septillion. So taking just eight prophecies from the Old Testament and that they were actually fulfilled thousands of years later, he says the probability of these eight is one in a septillion. Now, one in a septillion uh, of these eight prophecies uh, could be fulfilled. Uh, So what is a septillion? Peter Stoner said this. Let me tell you how to figure out what a septillion is and what it looks like. Take a stack of dimes edge to edge and fill up a space of 80,000 cubic miles. 80,000 miles this way, 80,000 miles that way, 80,000 miles that way, 80,000 miles that way, and so forth. And you put all those dimes in that it will hold, 80,000 cubic miles. Put all the dimes that you can put in there. Then he said, you take one dime, put a red X on it, you blindfold a man, and you drop him in that pile. And if he comes out with one dime by chance, that is one in a septillion. My friend, the fact that prophecies have been fulfilled, um, uh, only a God in heaven can make that happen. It is absolutely impossible that these prophecies have already been fulfilled or could have been fulfilled by chance. And so what I'm going to tell you today is not by chance. What I'm going to share with you today is not something that may or may not happen. I'm here to tell you today that there are at least seven Major unfulfilled prophecies that God has said will take place. And God says, I am the one that knows the future. And so we're looking at those things, past, present, and future. And this morning, with God's help, I would like to say that, I'll call this a a landscape of prophecy, an overview of some things that have yet to take place. And for that, we're going to look at unfulfilled prophecy number one. And that is called The rapture of the church. Unfulfilled prophecy number one is called the rapture of the church. Now, I realize that two weeks ago we spent an entire message that we didn't completely finish on Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1. And so I won't spend hardly any time on this one, but it is coming. John writes about the rapture. I shared with you from Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1 that the church is no longer mentioned. We are not part of of the tribulation. My friend, if you're a Christian, you should say, thank you, Lord. We are not part of the tribulation. We're going to be going through something called the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to be feasting at the marriage of the Lamb. Down here on this earth, there's going to be a great tribulation. So at this point, at the end of the church, the, uh, church age, uh, uh, we're going to hear a trumpet sound, and John says, we're going to hear, come up! Come on, let's go, and we're going to be out of here. My friend, I'm leaving. I'm going, and I'm going to be heaven-bound because I've been heaven-born. And, uh, and when that trumpet sounds, you count me gone. I'm out of here. Now let me ask you a question. Where will you be? 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now that's the rapture. That's the first thing that's going to happen. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's the next prophetic event that would take place. When will that rapture take place? May I just tell you at any moment. No man knows the day or the hour, but it could happen at any moment. We're not looking for some sign. We're not looking for some prophecy to be fulfilled before Jesus can come for his church. At any moment, perhaps this afternoon, Jesus could come back. Well, let me get it quickly into prophecy number, unfulfilled prophecy number two. We're going to call that the rise of the beast. The rise of the beast. First of all, the rapture of the church, the departure of the saints has taken place the church has been taken out may I remind you that Jesus said the church is the salt of the earth salt preserves salt heals salt restrains. may I just say this world doesn't like us very much they wish that we would vanish well one day we will be gone and then corruption unlike we've ever seen is going to set in my friend we will leave this world And to lead that corruption will be a man uh, uh, called the Beast. He's also referred to as the man of sin. He's called the Antichrist. And in the Revelation, he's called the Beast. I've asked six men to help me this morning to read some passages of Scripture. So would you take your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 13. I'd like for you to see this yourself, Revelation chapter 13. And we will have the first three verses read at this time. Revelation 13, verses 1 through 3
0: and I saw one of the heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast.
1: Well you say, What does all that mean? That's strange language. May I just say it's simply an overview, but I'm telling you that Satan is Superman. He's the Antichrist. He's the counterfeit Christ, and he's coming into this world, and when he does, make no mistake about it, he's going to turn this world into a vast concentration camp with all of the inmates numbered. My friend, the Bible says that everyone will be numbered or you will be unable to buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast. Do you want to live through the tribulation? Shame on you to even have such a thought. There's not a man, woman, boy, or girl that should have any desire to say, I'll wait until the rapture takes place, then I will get saved. My friend, just by virtue of you hearing this message today disqualifies you from ever being saved in the tribulation period. In other words, you will die and go to hell you will serve the beast. John Phillips, he's a brilliant uh, Bible scholar. He wrote about the beast here in Revelation. He says this: "It's in your nose." Notes: He will be a most attractive person, a veritable savior to a world careening like an express train without throttle, wide open, out of control, and without a man at the helm. No doubt, his personal charm will be great. His intellectual genius immense. His wealth and influence proverbial. His authority overpowering. His passions and hatreds extraordinary. His organizing skill unsurpassed. His techniques superb. Men will follow him to death. Women will swoon at his feet. Children will say his name as savior of the world and the hope of mankind. Yet for all that, he will be totally and thoroughly bad. He is the man of sin. My friend, that day... It's coming, and it's coming soon. So after Christ comes for his bride, that's the church, then the Antichrist, the beast, will arrive. Oh, there's a third major unfulfilled uh, a prophecy, and we call that the great tribulation, the great tribulation tribulation. Would you go with me to Revelation chapter number 6? Go to Revelation chapter number 6. People are fascinated by this seven-year period which has yet to happen, which will come. And for that, we have someone who will read here for us in Revelation chapter number 6. In the the tribulation period, not only will the Antichrist hold sway and deceive the nations, but in addition to that, God is also going to pour out his wrath upon this world. The Bible says it will be so terrible that men will desire to die and will not be able to die. Death will flee from them. In the coming weeks, I'm going to preach a multi-part message breaking down the seven years that are described as the tribulation period and I assure you don't want to miss uh, these messages. There's never been a time like it. May I just say this? Hell will be a holiday compared to the seven years that men and women will endure called the tribulation period. It's a horrible time and even if there were no hell you would not want to be left behind to just merely go through the tribulation period. I'm trying to give you seven major things that we can look for that are, about yet, to, that are yet to happen. There is the rapture. How many of you with an amen are going to be in that rapture? Amen. I'm going to be. I'm looking forward to Jesus coming back. Right after that, the rise of the beast, because this world is going to be thrown into a chaos it has never known since the days of Noah and the flood. And then there's going to be enter, we're going to enter into a great time of tribulation. Now what's going to happen at the end of that tribulation? There is a fourth major unfulfilled prophecy. and It is called the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon. Now the tribulation period, the Bible clearly says, is going to last for a period or a space of time of seven years. The last three and a half years will be the most horrifying, the most horrific time this world has ever known. This great tribulation will end with a battle that's called Armageddon. And there at this battle, the beast and his armies will be defeated. Would you turn over to Revelation chapter 16? I want you to see this with your own eyes this morning as we look at a few verses here in Revelation chapter number 16. Whoever's supposed to read Revelation 16, now's a good time to read that. There we go. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the
0: dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he
1: gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Thank you so much. Many in this very auditorium have gone with us up to (coughs) Mount Megiddo. We have literally looked over the vast plain where this battle is going to take place. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Demon spirits are going to draw the world leaders to this place to come against Jerusalem. We'll look at it when we get into the tribulation, but one of the reasons it's going to happen, there's going to be an unspeakable famine in all of the world. And the Bible tells us That in Israel, there's going to be an abundance of food, and the rest of the world can't handle that. And so they're going to come against uh, Jerusalem in a horrific way because of just simply the need to eat. And we'll look at that in the coming days. But how's that battle going to be fought? In Revelation 19, the Bible says, And I saw heaven open." And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what a day that will be when Jesus comes back to this earth. Friend, at this time the rapture has taken place. We have gone up. In the rapture. Then there's the great tribulation, and all of these tribulation calamities will happen. Think about this what's going to happen in just seven years. There's going to be hail and fire. There's going to be blood, a burning mountain cast into the sea, a bitter star named wormwood that poisons the waters on this earth. There's going to be cosmic darkness, a darkness so thick that you can feel it, touch it. There's going to be darkness and locusts, which are really demon spirits. And there's going to be horsemen that ride forth to bring pestilence and there's going to be people who, who fall down and worship the Antichrist and then God's going to pour his wrath out on this earth and God in God's wrath there's going to be boils the Bible says the sea will turn to blood the rivers will turn to blood there's going to be a great heat there's going to be great darkness and the river Euphrates is going to dry up and all of those Asian armies are going to be able to cross over those rivers and enter into Israel The Bible says there's going to be hail like great stones. And God's going to begin to judge the world and the mystery of Babylon. And Babylon the great will be judged. And then we know that the Bible says um, that then the Antichrist will be here in all of his power. And he's going to be coming against God's ancient people, against Israel. And all of the nations of the world are going to be gathered into one place in the Middle East, in a place called Israel. But what has happened? the church has gone up we've been there we've met with the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ the marriage of the lamb and now Jesus tells us guess what we're going to come back to him go come back with him to be in a great battle and at this point there's called the battle of Armageddon Armageddon takes place when Jesus physically comes to this earth Again, the time is not for his saints, but when Jesus Christ comes with his saints. That's why we know there is a rapture, because the next time that Jesus comes, To this physical earth, we come back with him. That means that we have to be taken out before we can come back. The Bible says that we will come back. We'll talk about Armageddon later on, but oh, I can hardly wait to be there. I'll be there for that battle. I'm going to be behind the Lord Jesus, and he's going to do the battle. And he's going to do it with one weapon. The Bible says he's going to do it with a sword in his mouth. I don't know how that's going to happen, but the Bible says I'm coming back with him. There's an unfulfilled prophecy. Number five, after the Battle of Armageddon, what's going to happen is called the Millennial Reign of Christ. The Millennial Reign of Christ. After that Battle of Armageddon, we're going to have the Millennial Reign of Christ. We're going to have dominion with Jesus. And there is a fascinating portion of Scripture in Revelation chapter 20. So turn over your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse number one. Listen to this that the Apostle John wrote.
0: And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon his forehead or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years.
1: Now that's what we call the millennium. A space of time of one thousand years. Uh, So far it's been two thousand years since the time of Christ. uh, When he lived on this earth. But the millennium speaks of the reign of Christ. When the lamb and the lion will lie down together and the lamb won't be inside the the lion. It's going to be a time of peace. The Bible says that there will only be ultimate peace in the Middle East. By the way, the rest of the world has been destroyed. Uh, This is going to be a time period when no man can imagine. There's no war. There's no disease. There's only peace for 1,000 years. Well, that thousand years has to end. And that takes us to an unfulfilled prophecy number six, and that's what we call the doom of the lost. If you'll take your Bibles there in Revelation chapter 20, would you listen to what's going to happen to those people who are lost without Christ?
2: And I saw a great white throne, and on him sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There is found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small, great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which are written. in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire.
1: So how does the millennium end? Not open, not subject to interpretation. With the final judgment, there's coming a time when every unsaved man, woman, boy, and girl will stand before the great white throne. Who is sitting at that throne? None other than Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of the unsaved unsaved dead will take place. He says, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And they were judged, every man. Well, why? Listen, this is interesting. Why does it take all the way to the end of time for there to be this judgment? I say because the waves of sin have not yet hit the shores of eternity. Let me illustrate. Take a person like Hugh Hefner, who had his Playboy empire. He lived high and wide and handsome. He corrupted so many people, but he... He who corrupted so many corrupted somebody else, who corrupted somebody, who corrupted somebody, who sodomized somebody here, who broke up a home here, who raped somebody here, who steals the virtue for someone here, and on and on he goes as the waves of that sin. Now Hugh Hefner, he died. His influence, though, goes on and on. And you wait until the final judgment when God puts that final period upon the final sentence, upon the final paragraph, upon the final page, upon the final book of history. Then we see a cumulative judgment take place. And that's the reason God waits until the final judgment. And at, the, at this final judgment, the unsaved dead are judged. And the Bible says it's going to be a horrific time because the doom that will be there will be for all who reject Christ. They will be cast into a lake of fire. Now, friend, that brings us to the final of these seven unfulfilled prophecies. An unfulfilled prophecy number seven is called the destiny of all people. The destiny of all people. Turn over one page in your Bible if you've been following along your Bible. Revelation chapter number 21. And listen to these verses from Revelation chapter 21.
2: And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, let me be very blunt with you. When God created you, he made you into his image. You, by the virtue of God allowing you to be born, you were made a living soul. You could no more cease to exist than God himself could cease to exist. Endless and timeless and dateless and measureless. Your soul will be in existence for somewhere. Either that place is going to be in heaven or hell. God is making a new heaven today. He's making a new earth, and we're going to talk about that later, but God brought me here to say to you this morning that you have a life to live. You have a death to die. You have a judgment to face, and you have an eternity to endure. And I ask you, will that be in heaven or hell? You cannot miss hell and go to heaven unless you're twice born. In other words, you must accept what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now, friend, we've seen some terrible things this morning, and it's only going to get worse when we break down. Some of the very specific things that are going to take place during the tribulation time. But I want to ask you this question. According to the word of God, when the stars are being turned turned inside out, when the sun has been darkened, when black as a sackcloth of hair, when the moon hangs in the sky like a clot of blood, when the mountains are crumbling, when the nations are shaken, when the sky is split and Jesus comes with the blood-washed armies of heaven, when all of these things are, are, are going on, I want to ask you, where will your soul be? Where will your soul be? The wisest thing that you could ever do with your life is to give your heart to Jesus. Have you ever done that? The last invitation, the Bible says, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. And the last prayer in the Bible is this, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Could we just be quiet for just a moment and try not to move about? There are souls in the balance this morning. There are people in this very auditorium who if you were to die, you would go to hell because you're simply not saved today. This may be God's final invitation to someone that's here this morning. And if you're not absolutely certain that you're saved, I want you to be saved, but it doesn't matter what I want, God wants you to be saved. And he desires to save you. Pastor, can I be certain? Absolutely you can. Pastor, is there some way that you can help me? I want you right now. And in your handout, I actually printed a prayer that is very, very specific, very succinct. Jesus Christ would Love to send His Holy Spirit to come and be a part of your life, and when you learn the facts of prophecy and not to uh, know Jesus would only uh, uh, and not to know what to do is is, is disconcerting and it, it's it's challenging. But may I just tell you, you know what to do. Believe on Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. I wrote in your notes this morning. You could pray this prayer, dear God. I know that you love me, and I know that you want to save me. I'm a sinner. My sin deserves judgment, but I need mercy. I cannot save myself. But Jesus, you died to save me. You promised to save me if I would trust you. I do trust you. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe you paid my sin debt with your precious blood. Thank you for the shed blood that cleanses my sin. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I now receive you by faith as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me my sin. Save me, Jesus. My friend, if you will pray that prayer and by faith believe, he will save you. And it doesn't matter about the great tribulation because you won't be going through it. It won't matter about you being doomed as a lost person for he will have saved you. You know, if you're sincere, if you pray a prayer like this, God will change you. Take him at his word. Maybe you could even say, if you're a Christian, thank you for doing this, Lord. Thank you. I've received uh, your faith. Uh, I I I know it is settled. From now on, I belong to you. Jesus, you belong to me. I'm not going to be ashamed of you. I'll make it public. Give me the strength to do what I need to do. Folks, let's not be ashamed of Jesus. Now, you can look this way. Every one of us, we made a decision this morning. Either we've already been saved... Or we need to be saved. Or perhaps you just got saved. What does that mean? That means you're saved from all that's about to happen in future prophetic events. My friend, the greatest decision that you will ever make is what do I do with Jesus. Don't be ashamed of that decision. And I want to put you on the spot. I don't want you to be ashamed, but here's what I'd like for you to do. There's going to be three pastors and their wives that are available to talk to you for you to tell us that you made that decision. Right after the service, Pastor and Mrs. Howard, they're going to be at that north door. And you can see them on the way out. My wife and I will be in the lobby. And if we can help you, we will. Pastor Jonathan and his wife will be at the courtyard door. So all the doors are covered when you leave. If we can help you, and you said, I need to make that decision, would you stop and talk to us? Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of Jesus working in your heart and life. My friend, prophecy scares us half to death if we're, if we're unsettled in our faith. But I know Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior, so I'm not worried about the tribulation. I know Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. I'm not worried about the great white throne judgment. I'm not worried about being cast into a lake of fire because I know Jesus as my Savior. He's my friend. I love Him. I'm thankful for Him. I'm thankful that every single day of my life, I get to talk to Him. How about you?